Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream is a total chocolate game changer. We start with unbelievably creamy dark chocolate ice cream. Then we add different chocolate treats, like chocolate cookies, chocolate cake, or chocolate brownies to make four decadent chocolate flavors. Because sometimes the thing that pairs best with chocolate <laughs> is more chocolate. Tillamook Chocolate Collection Ice Cream. Extraordinary Dairy. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's no place to escape to. This is the last time. On the left. Side stories. That's when the cannibalism started. Side Side stories. stories. (laughs) Yes. Now it's time for my fucking... This is my brother from another mother. Dude, right here, this guy. I'm excited. It's been a long time. I miss Shane. It's yes. been too long. It's been too long since we've had him on the fucking show. I'm glad he's here. We're going to talk about all his new bullshit. I, I miss you seeing my nude body, spray painting me with my fucking dick out. All right. That would be when you were filming Your Pretty Face is Going to Hell. Welcome to Side Stories, everyone. I am Ben, hanging out with Henry. Y'all. And as he mentioned, today's guest, he has worked extremely close with Henry's body. Mm. Oh, yeah. He knows all the nooks. He knows all the crannies. And I'm sure he has PTSD. He also recently just worked on this kick-ass movie, Sam and Maddie Make a Zombie Movie. If you haven't checked that out, check it out. Shane Morton is with us, and uh, it's just so great to have him here. Dude. Great to be here. We have a lot of stuff to cover. A lot of stuff. Because I want to start, first of all, I want to thank you for Cheddar Goblin. The world wants to thank you for Cheddar Goblin. What people may not know, can we even leave? We can say this kind of shit, right? Because during... in Mandy, the Cheddar Goblin sequence was, was it directed by you or was it Casper? It was Chris Kelly directed it. Yes. Sure. So Casper Kelly directed the segment, but you they just like let you run with Cheddar Goblin. How did that happen? Like, how did you get the script for that? And how did you like, how did that go down that you got to be the father of Cheddar Goblin? The well, Geppetto. You were actually there when it happened because Chris, we were shooting Pretty Face and Chris mm-hmm. was like, what do you think about next weekend us doing this little uh, horror puppet thing? You could make this puppet and it's going to throw up all over these kids. We could yeah. shoot it in the afternoon. <laughs> and I was like, Chris, are you fucking crazy? Like, look at this workload I have. And he, Chris knows I work on the weekends when we're on Pretty Face. Yeah, yeah, all right. your unbillable hours you do it because you're a fucking psychopath. Yeah, because we're trying to make stuff better with that limited budget or whatever. But right. he goes, but it's for Panos, Cosmatos. And I was like, okay, well, then we're doing it, you know? Definitely. Of course. I love Beyond the Black Rainbow. Why did he kick it to Casper versus he direct that sequence? Because he wanted it to be like from another viewpoint, right? Right. He, oh, wow. he wanted, he, and, he, and he wanted it to be like too many cooks. That's That's basically what did it. Shit. It was right. like, can you do something kind of like Too Many Cooks that's weird and shouldn't fit in the movie? Right. And he didn't tell us much about the movie, really. He just said, make this crazy thing. And of course, Mandy was just such an unbelievable cinematic beauty. It was such a 
incredible movie. And then this scene really stands out. It pops because you're like, oh, wait, what is this whole new reality? It's, a, it's the hinge of the whole movie. It's a yeah. crucial moment in the movie as well. What did when it comes to Cheddar Goblin, if you haven't seen uh, the movie Mandy, you can find Cheddar Goblin. Just search it. And that scene is I'm sure it's on YouTube or something. Yes. But check it out. Where did you come up? You hear that you are asked to make a character that vomits a bunch of mac and cheese and a bunch of children. How do you start creating that character? That's the guy right there, Shane. Well, originally, I'm thinking it's macaroni and cheese, right? So when I'm thinking about creating something, especially for Panos, I'm thinking it's color, right? Yeah. So what's the opposite of macaroni and cheese? It's purple. So I came up with this purple stringy character that was like, why is purple the opposite of mac and cheese, if I may ask? Because I don't think I would have gotten that right. Purple's the opposite of orange. When you look oh. at a color wheel, you have to see what the complementary color is on the wheel, right? So okay. purple was as far on the other spectrum, other side of the spectrum from orange as I could get. So I originally started that, and he was skinny and, and sharper and more angular, and immediately... Uh, they were like, no, this is all like 80s ghoulies, you know, think of that ghoulies right. vibe. And yes. I was like, oh, okay. So then we'll just go for that, you know. And I just put a bunch of veins and the kind of weird warty stuff, the weird kind of, uh, I don't know, it's this gloopy style I've got that's real uh, 80s influence. So cool. We used to call it like string cheese back in the day. Everything looks like bad pizza. Yeah. It's so sweet though. The cheddar goblin looks, you know, he sits in my living room. So I sit there yeah, and I see him each day. Well, you know, it's just like with my stuff, even if I'm making stuff that's like evil, it's got to be kind of cute. Of or, course. And cheddar goblin. Kind of fun. Maybe not cute, but something fun about the stuff, my style. How was it to spray the kids with the mac and cheese? That was brutal. Because kids didn't like it, huh? Well, when they I show up and the kids are there and I was like, hey, how much do you guys like macaroni and cheese? And they're like, we love macaroni and cheese. It's the best. We love it. We'll eat it any chance we get. And I was like, not after today. <laughs> and, uh, about seven hours in, I was like, so how do you guys feel now? What do you think about mac and cheese? And I was expecting them to be like, fuck this shit. But they were like, nah, we love it. You give it to us right now. We'll eat it. That's amazing. Yeah, because it wasn't macaroni and cheese that they were getting hit with. What were they getting hit with? It was macaroni and cheese mixed with lemon or pineapple fago and mixed with like lemon jello to get the consistency. <laughs> so that citrus and that cheese kind of combined to make this smell that was like. Why did you? Vomit. Why yeah, did yeah, you settle like pure vomit? Why did you settle on the ICP Juggalo beverage? It was this was a low. It was a no budget. You know, I needed. <laughs> it amazing. You know, I made that. Ch I sculpted that thing in like five hours, and Damn. we we put it on. We've put it in a mold on set. Kyle and Kevin are like, why? the fuck are we doing this? There are 20 people that are in makeup and we've got these pro this kids coming in to get his feet cast. I don't know if you remember, we had to get some child in there to do a cast of his feet. Yes. His feet got shrank. Yes. Like, Our workload is so big. Why are you doing this to us? And I was like, because you never know. Watch, this might be the biggest thing we do all year. And then fucking right. watch it. It's immediately you're like, holy shit. Well, I forgot about it. And Chris <laughs> calls me from, from Sundance and he goes, oh my God, you're not going to believe this movie we made. And I was like, what movie? And he's like, the one with the, with the macaroni and cheese. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, 
man, it's crazy. He's like, just promise me you're sitting with me when you watch this movie because you're not going to believe that the Cheddar Goblin is the linchpin to the movie and it's one of the greatest horror moments in movie history. <laughs> yeah, it's dude. He's like, and Leonard Maltin's interviewing, interviewing your puppet right now. And <laughs> that I was is like, incredible. What the fuck are you talking about? And uh, just looking at it at face value, it's just a cheesy 80s looking monster puppet. But in the context of that film, it's like the most horrible Lovecraftian level of cosmic horror that this guy is going through. And that is the symbol of how little you matter in the universe. Right. right. <laughs> that cool. one is, is an existential nightmare taken to the extreme turned up to 13, you know, but then, honestly, it made me identify with the Cheddar Goblin because I understand how hard it is to get commercial work. And it's got a cute when you are a specific work. Yeah, yeah, he's got a cute little. I have the same yeah. body as Cheddar Goblin. I think you've gotten more work out of this than I have. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. When you created the first Cheddar Goblin that was purple and kind of thin and different looking, and then you get the notes. How did you settle on green number one? And then also, like when you get notes like that as a as someone who is unbelievably talented with what you do. You're also hyper-independent. Because the one thing about Shane, right. too, is that Silver Scream is one of this, like, it is a kind of a pillar of, of very, very independent special effects that yeah. used to be, because special effects, maybe I'm wrong, Shane, but it seems to be it was way more regional for uh, a period of time where you had, like, the Pittsburgh scene, there was an L.A. group, but there wherever there was a, a run-and-gun movies being made, there seemed to be at least one special effects kind of house, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think so. And they're usually, like, part of a big house, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. these are guys that would work with Stan Winston and Rick Baker, and then they would get some little project, you know, like, people like Gabe Bartolos, who... I know from Basket Case and all those hand awesome. sleeves movies, he was like, you know, working with Baker. Right. So so just maybe if someone wants to get into um, the arts out there in special effects, how did you internalize what the director wanted you to do? And then how did you translate that to this really kick-ass, strangely iconic Cheddar Goblin? Well, I'm lucky in the fact that Panos, Panos, however... Um, and Chris Kelly and like you guys, we are on this kind of thing where we can just say we have a huge like repertoire of, of stuff to pull from. So we can say things like it's kind of like ghoulies, right? Sure. But it's also got this like um, he's got to be kind of lovable. So there's a bit of Yoda. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. That I, definitely plays so, out yes. as I look at it. Yeah. The big ears make it cute. There's something about the big ears that make it kind of like it's kind of like a bunny rabbit or like a cute yeah. dog. It reminds me of Wendy or like, you know, it's like you look and you see the big ears and kind of. Oh, you can trust this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Because the silhouette is basically Yoda, you know. <laughs> right. So right. Immediately he's kind of huggable until the lights come on. And then you're like, oh, oh. shit. This is oh, not Yoda. Oh, no, it's a professional know. comedian. Oh, my God. The worst <laughs> thing ever to see when the lights turn on. So is that usually your thought process? You take things from that have already created and you just find a new way to kind of combine them and just kind of rework the formula in some ways? Well, yeah, because I don't I'm not like um, I guess I'm not so full of myself to believe that I'm really creating anything, you know, if that makes any sense, like I believe that creative people basically have an antenna that goes up that grabs out of the same ether that everybody mm -hmm. does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've got such a 
I'm so into like old classic movies and just the whole genre of fantasy filmmaking and everything that I'd be crazy to think that I'm actually making anything up. You know, I'm pulling from this, I'm pulling from that. And uh, sorry if you guys hear something. There's a, we have a new kitten and he's going crazy. Yeah. I hear the little scratching. Yeah. That's definitely not a a person bound in your home. No, (laughs) no, there's no like teenage girls in cages down. No, no, I know that. I don't hear them. That's great. (laughs) So, but that, that actually makes it um, a little bit less scary knowing that it doesn't have to come out of nowhere. Cause I think a lot it's of all times, reference points, it's all reference well, points because a lot of people when they're starting nowhere, arts, right. Yeah. Nothing comes from nowhere. Um, it's just like with music, you know, you think you've come up with a new song or a new way to play something. And then you realize, I think there's like six songs in right. the world. There's only six that you can like change around and play a different way, but it's still, one of those six songs. Yeah, you kind of like they're, right. they're they're out there, the building blocks. But it's now up to artists. Like your job is, you have a series of references that come from either absorbing material or going to school or whatever, and then you use that going forward and mix and match to make the new shit. The new shit yeah. is just the reorganized old shit. Yeah, I mean, if you're good enough, then you can put your own twist on it in a way that people will not be able to see where it all comes from, and you've applied your perfect your personal, you know, fingerprints all on it. So it sort of uh, transcends right. what it is. Oh, right? yeah, like, like how Mandy is technically just a, you'd say, like, it's a revenge movie, yeah, right? So it definitely. is a normal revenge movie, but Panos's ability to artistically come at it from another angle make it, makes it something else. Like, I, I went to go see Pig, the new Nick Cage movie. Have you seen this movie? Uh-uh. It's no, John Wick. It's Nick Cage, basically. It's John Wick, but through the Portland fine dining scene. It is the most specific shit I have ever seen in a movie, where it is a missing truffle pig Aww. mixed with the obnoxious like people showing up with like it's it's fine dining. I don't know how to describe it. It's a non-violent John Wick. I have to wow. see this movie. I haven't seen Pig at all. Pig. I mean. Put some truffles on the floor and the truffle pig will come. I do want to ask about, yep. so we were talking about before, Godzilla Godzilla v. Kong, right? So the first movie, I, we were all like movie horny, obviously, for the quarantine. I had to go see a movie in the in the theater as soon as humanly fucking possible. The first one I saw was Godzilla versus Kong. Now, I just you, watched that last night. I bought my cherry on that one, too. That was the first theater experience. We rented a theater and like a couple dozen of us went and it was like awesome. It wasn't a great movie, but it was a lot of fun. We were it all was there. fun to be outside and, uh, of my home, yeah. which if that's the bar, then any movie's great. Yeah, but when I'm you, looking back at the row behind me at Jim Stacy, and we're like, wow, look at that. You we're know? fucking back, dude. He's like, um, I can't believe it. Mechagodzilla's in this movie. You know, it is like, pretty crazy. Yeah. I also didn't know that was a reveal and I accidentally spoiled it on the show and people got mad at me. Can you? Can uh, we call uh, it Megazilla? Mecha. Mm-hmm. Megas, Mecca, Mecca, Meccazilla sounds robot. better than Mecca Godzilla. He's built to be like he's supposed to fight Godzilla. To I be... know. I just don't think oh we need the god, god in there. I think he can just be Meccazilla. Oh, but you're it. like Godzilla's like one of the cornerstones of your whole life, right? Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, it's, I'm weird about Godzilla. Like I'm so weird about it. Like I've gone to Tokyo for movie premieres and stuff. Cool. Like, now you saw Shin Godzilla in Tokyo, yeah, right? Yeah, we saw Shin Godzilla like in the 40 theater with people going crazy. Godzilla was everywhere. We had stayed at the Godzilla hotel. Like, so we're nuts sweet. about it. So like, really? I, 
something like Godzilla v Kong, right? I understand. We're in 2021. People want these. People want the massive Avengers style. Entire city gets destroyed in an instant. Every single thing is computer uh, generated. I do believe that like some digital, some of the digital fighting was really cool with Godzilla versus Kong, but it still misses some of the tangible. Tangible, it obviously misses the tangible. But Shane, how do you make a movie like that size with practical shit? mixed with digital like like what's the way to make it all work out like what do you do yeah, to what's take the it? balance there because i mean the the movie that i always referenced that i thought did a good job was the mist yes where it's like you could tangibly yeah. see certain creatures and stuff and i love watching creatures but yeah watching kong versus godzilla i could have gone for just one guy in a monkey suit once seriously yeah well i the Japanese are still doing it. You know, all you got to do is go over there and look at the movies that they're still, they're still making stuff that has like classic tokusatsu effects. Now they will say that this isn't true, but they did use a puppet and a full waist up 30 foot tall puppet also for Shin Godzilla. They added some, yeah, they added some special effects over the top of it with digital but there are certain scenes in Shin Godzilla where they were using practical effects too. They sh- they built miniatures and they knocked them over and applied yeah. them to God, real so buildings. Good. They knocked over some almost real size, you know, real scale buildings. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? How do you what as far as um, uh, that strategy of using tangible real puppets and then combining the CGI? Do you think that it should start? with the puppet and then the CGI is just the cherry on top and the icing on the cake because right now it seems like the CGI is the whole dish. Yes, but it's some people dessert, like but- it. I don't know if you like it that much computer graphics because I well, don't. Well, you know what I brought me out of it is how good video games are now. Yeah. So I'm watching Kong versus Godzilla and I'm like, why am I not just playing this game? Yeah, seriously. But what do you think? Now, that's the key word. Now, you think it's good. Go back and watch Lord of the Rings or the first Iron Man, which I'll never forget that opening scene in Lord of the Rings. I was like, holy shit, this is the next thing. Yeah. I was like, I, you know, all the air got sucked out of the room when all those thousands of hordes of orcs were trailing across. But go back and watch it now. And now it looks like a bad video game. Mm. Okay. And and the problems with that with this technology is the technology itself. It's like it keeps evolving and it leaves the stuff in the past looking like bad video games so now you're thinking oh it looks like space invaders versus you know red dead redemption which is what you're getting out of godzilla versus kong or whatever like we'll talk about this in 20 years what we think about godzilla versus kong now that we've seen the new level of movies and i can guarantee you that 20 years from now people are still going to be watching ray harryhausen's jason and the argonauts yes and they're not going to be watching godzilla versus kong and, and that's so ironic about peter jackson obviously who who did the lord of the rings i don't want to spread any uh information no oh, are you about. quentin tarantino well, that's the deepest cut i know i really <laughs> nailed it but if you look at dead alive um peter jackson's one of his earlier movies that movie is timeless it's timeless because it's it's just you you can't it doesn't. Well, it, it can't look any different than that. It also leaves them open to say, "I'm going to need some more money to update these films." Oh, and then yes. what they'll do is each time we'll get a new repackaged, revamped, redone Lord yeah. of the Rings. Like 20 years from now, we'll get it with the newest technology where it sucks your dick. That like you go oh, in the theater and the tune comes suck out. Your dick. Yep. Yeah, that'll be nice. 
Or we'll be watching it on cave drawings and sticks and stones. Yeah. That's what they like, say the World uh, War Four will be fought with. I can't yeah, wait. Like we'll end up three before that. Yeah. <laughs> rain of fire when they realize they're telling Star Wars. Yes, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Live from your grave. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Finding work-life balance can be tough, but Squarespace gives you the tools to reach your goals and have time to celebrate. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. With the new guided design system, Squarespace Blueprint, you can select from curated layout and styling options to create a personalized website optimized for every device. Get your website discovered fast with integrated, optimized SEO tools. Plus, make checkout easy for customers with easy-to-use payment tools. And with Squarespace AI, you can explain what your site is about, choose your tone, enter what you need, and get auto-generated text. And that helps you save time. I know I'm sitting on about two literal wheelbarrows filled with horse pics. Now, part of the issue has been is a lot of these pictures are getting stopped at customs because some of them do depict various world leaders in horse-like circumstances that seems to be pinging a lot of these custom agents accounts. Now, so what I've done to do is like, so while I'm trying to work on hand smuggling these horse picks over various country borders. I then also have time because Squarespace is doing all the other ad work for me to go and work on my killdozer at home. So thank you, Squarespace, for allowing me to diversify in the best way possible for this country. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial when you're ready to launch. Go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey! Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, and so much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. That's one of my favorite things about it. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. Now, personally, I'm in the middle of re-landscaping my yard. I like to do it myself because I called up a landscaper to see how much it costs and it was absolutely insane. Plus, I love dirt. I love getting my hands in the dirt and I love planting things myself. And Fast Growing Trees has given me some wonderful plants that I can use. Like I got this uh, Texas sage, it's purple. I've dug up a whole bunch of horrible bushes and shrubs up in front of my window and in front of my house and put some purple Texas sage up there and it's going to thrive and it's going to look real good. And I don't even have to go to a nursery to buy it. It came to my house. Now, this spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. One in five Americans have learned a new language on their bucket list. If that's you, make 2024 the year you finally check it off the list. With Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors. It's a waste. Don't waste hours on apps. 
Besides appetizers, that's the kind of apps I like. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Did you know that empanada is already Spanish? I didn't. Thanks, Babbel. Did you know that burrito is already Spanish? Wow. I just got to learn all the rest. And eventually, I'm going to be eating downtown Mexico. Thanks, Babbel. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash left. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com slash left, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash L-E-F-T. Rules and restrictions may apply. I don't want to get too much deep into old man yelling at a cloud about practical because I, I yeah. get into this. I, I'm I get a practical into this. guy. I like I practical. You People start a- calling me a boomer. I know. <laughs> like, I'm Gen X, you know, but I the can, forgotten I can, generation. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm forgetting a, more and more every day. <laughs> that's perfect. You're lucky. That's the goal. Uh, but okay, you bought a new house, and I'm not going to blow up your address and shit. Like I don't want to dox you, but yeah. you are really investing in creating a full-on permanent haunt. Right. Is that kind of the idea that this is going to be or, is it, or are you just living in this house? Is this just a house that will be a horror house? Well, no, I showed you the house that we bought to live in. Yes. And that's Madeline's thing. Like she's been able to make it a nicer place because she lived in my weird house for, for 10 a long years. time. Like, she suffered. No, Madeline Brumby. Nice. Yeah. Madeline Brumby, who is an actress who's also in um, uh, God. Uh, what was it? Dear the, God, no. Dear God, she no. Did- uh, Frankenstein created bikers and she's done a bunch of stuff with us, but she, uh, she wants the nicer stuff, you know, she's a blue blood. And, uh, <laughs> so she, you know, but when, when COVID happened, you know, we lost our gigantic building yeah. out there where the effects where you guys have done tours and stuff. And, uh, we shot Goodhead out there and we've done a million things out there. So I was like, well, what are we going to do with all this stuff? You know, I have, because I mean, you, know you were working stuff. on a horror museum. You were working on a special effects museum in yeah. Atlanta. And it was insane. I donated two 30-foot box trucks crammed full of props to Six Flags, who I build theme parks stuff for. Um, I put. It took four months to, to figure out what I was keeping and how am I going to do this new building. So we could, and the market is terrible right now. You can't buy a warehouse, especially in Atlanta, where – there's more movies being made here than Hollywood, so there's nothing available. Oh, yes. So I'm having to build my own new studio, right? Is that where you are right now? No, I'm in the basement of the, ho- of the house we live in. Oh. The house that we bought to turn into a studio, it's, it, this is the craziest story, right? Because we own probably the oldest house in Atlanta. And That's going to be so thing. much fucking dark history in that house. No, actually, here's the fun part, because we were going to make up a dark history, because when we found the place, we were like 1840. There's nothing that old here. It all got burnt down in the Civil War. Well, there was a rumor that Sherman stayed the night there, and that's why it didn't get burned down. Oh, well, we've had all these historians come out with their, you know, crazy research stuff, and they found officer union buttons. And the story now is because. I got to say, when we were looking at the place, I was like, plantation style house. Are there a bunch of people buried here? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like a center of evil. Yeah. No, this guy was a union sympathizer 
and General Slocum and his troops stayed on this property. And this is the story that we're getting now. So this guy was like making, he was fighting the good fight. Holy shit. Yeah. But now you have to make it evil because you're going to have people yeah. come. So you have to have some kind well, of experimenting happening. Got, there. You know, we've got the Civil War nurse cr- coming out of the wall, like grabbing your pants. <laughs> cool. We've got all these bullshit stories we're going to start telling. But it's not going to be something that's really open to the public all the time, like the old place. It'll be something we can shoot in. You know, Great. we're building a big thing behind it, but we're going to be able to say that, yeah, our studios in the old, you know, a 200 year old haunted building. That's really freaking cool. I mean, I got to ask, how how did you even get started when it comes to now you're going to have your second location? Silver Scream is doing great. You're working your ass off for people out there who want to get into the world of special effects. What do you, how do you even start this? You just do it. You know, so you just started creating in high school or you just have always wanted to do it. Yeah, I saw King Kong when I was three years old. And ever since then, I've been like doing makeup on myself and on my friends and making little, you know, we started making little haunted houses out of refrigerator boxes in the garage. And now I just kept doing it, making movies. And, you know, what was it about King Kong and Godzilla that got you? Because as a kid, I mean, they're cool. I love Godzilla. Yeah. But for me, I like to have like Freddy Krueger. It was like, that's very, he's funny and he kills people. But we were the generation that, yeah, it was like Pinhead meant a lot to me as a little kid. Jason and Freddy meant a lot to me. I think that you had the Godzilla, the monster era and King Kong. Yeah. The classic monsters are different and that they're not villains. Um, The the villains were the eighties, like slasher things. and, And those characters were murderers and rapists and child molesters and stuff. And the stuff Freddy that was I not was a child molester. We have to, we got cor- corrected by Elijah Wood. He's a Freddy, child killer. He got retconned into a child molester, Freddy Krueger, because they they did that in the new Jackie Earl Haley movie. But the original one, he only killed. He kids. just killed kids. So and he was a janitor. Yeah. So you tell me, you cannot. <laughs> Elijah, he was a janitor. I, I love he, Elijah Wood, but he's wrong about this. Whoa! <laughs> All right. Well, you're gonna have to have you and Elijah on. You're gonna have to go head to head because I'm Team Woods on this one. He, he was a janitor. He got angry with the kids and he killed them. Nah, there's too much sexuality and, and lecherousness in his performance. He's always like coming through the phone and licking their faces. He's wanting to diddle them with his fingers. He's making well, now those are teenagers, to be fair. I say, but teenagers are not. It's, it's not legal for them to no, be diddled. No, it's not good. Okay. They were 16 year old teenagers. Not good. I'm not. Def- now you have me defending Freddy Krueger. <laughs> yeah. So you did this, Shane. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know. So you okay. like the hero of Maybe Godzilla. he's not raping him before he's murdering, but he's like doing some diddling. Freddy is a creepy kind of guy. Like he that. is a creepy. I'm not saying he's like, not creepy. I like Freddy too, right? Like he's Doesn't seem fun. like it. The movies are the movies are fun. Like I saw it opening night and came out of there cuz I'm not a slasher film guy. Yeah. Really? I liked it because I was a teenager and there were boobs in it and I liked seeing Tom Savini's gore effects, but the movies like, you know, this is a guy, my favorite movies are like the first Metropolis. I watch silent films. I watch performances by Lon Chaney Sr. You know what I mean? Right. Like I'm more, I need something more cerebral. That's you know, funny. Was, You're not a slasher guy. I would have just assumed, I guess. It's the no world. Way. It's the world building of the older films, I think, that are very, very inspiring, especially to artists, because it really does. The In Freddy, in, the, in those movies, in the 80s slasher films, it's way more kind of about momentum and the sexuality and stuff like that, where the... The monster movies of the earlier period are more atmospheric. It's more of a vibe. Well, also, there's this. If you want to get down to, like, the foundation of these characters and why children 
adhere so strongly to like the Frankenstein's monster and the Wolfman and characters, yeah. the classic characters. It's because they are like kids. They move around. They don't have control over their bodies. They don't have control over their emotions. So kids mm. like relate to these things, right? Because they're not in control of themselves too all the time. So I think that like, there's something very basic about why children are um, attracted to the classic monsters. Yeah. You know, I think it speaks to them in an eloquent way that they may not understand, like the sociological reasons why they're attracted to well, you make psychological. That, you some make of the it. characters are also very silent too, right? right? They're silent characters a lot of times and they're kind of, you can kind of project onto them how you can, you feel about them and you can picture yourself kind of as the wandering especially like yeah, Frankenstein sure. like because they technically they're very sympathetic characters and they're always well, getting yelled at monster is also kind of, and this is a thing like Freddy Krueger is he a child molester he's a child murderer Frankenstein's monster is he a child molester no he's oh, just yeah. read, he's, read the book and then you might change your mind he's like Michael Jackson he was childlike of mine he didn't know the difference no, I always no, think about was, that he he wouldn't just kill these children he would destroy them in a way that would hurt the the parents and the family. It's it's definitely alluded to that Frankenstein's monster is doing something more than just killing. Well, I never really thought about him That's in a sexual way at all. I think Shane is he has fan fiction. I think you perhaps you're the problem, Shane. <laughs> Read the read the book. You'd be surprised. You know, well, it's, you know, this, let's not they hide a lot of stuff in this old literature and these old classic films. Bride of Frankenstein true. also. You were the first one that showed me that Bride of Frankenstein is a story about being gay as well, and about like yeah. that. That is very very interesting. Uh, what else? I wanted to bring up during Godzilla v Kong. Well, the idea of that, like, just the idea of the Earth being hollow has become so mainstream they throw it in the middle of this like essentially children's movie yeah it's it's we bitch about this we've been bitching about this for like almost 10 years now henry how everybody's stealing all our fun conspiracy theories and <laughs> making them lame making them lame. Or, or making them where like we can't talk about them at four o'clock in the morning anymore yeah, without because like q sucks right the whole q yeah. storyline sucks it's, it's not there's nothing fun about that where's my david ike yeah. i miss him i miss him oh yeah, he's still on tour I missed him when he was fun, and now yeah. it's not fun to no, talk about because now people think that we might really believe that. You know, no, David it's not Ike, fun anymore. What David Icke has to do is start infusing his soccer skills on the stage. I would watch him kick a ball in the air a few times. If he just set up a net that had a, one a ball that looked like a reptilian yeah, head, kick it, and he just yeah. kicked it into that would be huge. I'm just yeah. I feel bad for David Icke because he really thought he was going to be Jesus, but then that time came and went, and then he just had to turn into David Icke that we know now. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, you know. I guess a lot of these guys are always on the precipice of it, and it could go either way, right? Yeah. They never seem to be able to handle the precipice well, though. No. No. So no. why, like, with David Icke and with the mainstreaming of conspiracy theory and uh, conspiracy thought, which I completely agree with you guys, uh, the idiots have the conversation right now, and we got to take it back. We have to take it back. We'll take it back. Um, but how does special effects horror mirror these these things that are happening in real time and in real life as we now we're in the um throes of the future which we're understanding people weren't ready for the internet we're understanding it might be a, <laughs> yes. a massive speaking of net net negative on society how does your job and how does your creative process how do you um reflect what you see happening in reality 
with your with with special effects. Yeah, dude. Last weekend on was on mushrooms and like Cena dropped it on me. He's like, you know that we've only had the iPhone since two thousand seven. I know, I was dude. Like, holy uh, fuck! I would shit. stop all tech at two thousand six. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would say. But anyway, that's just me. Well, we can't do that, right? No, we can't. We're, we're done. So me. You know, and just like Henry was saying, I'm trying to stay pure by staying away from computers and stuff. I still have to use them. You know, I use them to storyboard. I use them for production design and and whatnot. But what it's going to do, it's going to make you have to work harder. You're going to have to work harder with, with these technologies to use them in a way that you're still. And they did this with Godzilla versus Kong, right? So people were bitching about it and saying, oh, a lot of the old school guys, oh, this sucks. And I was like, actually, I had a lot of fun with it because it reminded me of these cheesy movies that I love, like, you know, uh, At the Earth's Core and all those Doug McClure, Edgar Rice Burroughs movies that were lit like psychedelic Mario Baba stuff. And they, you know, they had cave girls running around, submarines. That's what Godzilla versus Kong felt like to me. It felt like a Saturday afternoon in the late 70s when my sure. parents would take me to this theater to watch this goofy movie. Yeah. And uh, it's just the digital. It's just better because they didn't have Millie Bobby Brown in them. Millie Bobby Brown was just not the. She just needs to take a break. Um, but it's also she can't even pop her head out of a hole. I don't know without it being. I'm, here I am. No, I don't know. But it's a hundred million dollar version of yes. those movies that used to cost like fifty grand a piece. Yeah, yeah. So does it make it better? I, I mean. I think that I'm going to go back and watch at the earth's core a lot more than I would go back and revisit Godzilla versus Kong. Even oh, yeah. though my nephews were tearing the living room up last weekend when I showed it to them and they were like, the one kid looked at me like near the end of the movie when Mecha Godzilla was fighting and he looked at me and he goes, this is the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> you know, man, I was, I, that actually makes me feel really good that a kid had that reaction to it. Oh yeah. Cause because you, it was a very fun him. movie, but there's also, there is a movement within horror movies to keep things practical. I Nick cage will one day be remembered as the lawn Chaney of this time period. I think that we're going to be upset when he's gone. I don't think film is going to understand what we were missing. When he I leaves, think Johnny Depp is going to get more than Cage. Well, if Cage he can get his just, shit together, Cage is not as varied as like Depp, right? Like, yeah, I don't think that he's gonna like he did. He's been doing some amazing things lately, you know. But they're um, he does think, a lot of schlock too. He's got to yeah, pay them I mean, bills. They, they all do, but I I think Johnny Depp's probably the closest thing that we have because he's got Edward Scissorhands, he's got Ed Wood, he's got he's Jack a shapeshifter. Sparrow. He really is a shapeshifter. And he's worked makeup before, you know. He's used that. Speaking of the world's most incredible he's busy actors, busy playing in his band though, right now. He is the Hollywood, Hollywood vampires. Va Hollywood vampires. Live from your grave. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says here I have to talk about something I need to get off my chest, and I guess I can share it here. I, I eat mayonnaise for fun. It's a hobby of mine. And it's an addiction. And it's a daily weight on my life. How much I need whipped egg whites and oil crammed into my veins. As soon as I wake up, and a lot of people carry around a lot of different stressors, big and small. Some people are presidents. Some people are soldiers. Some people have to eat mayonnaise, especially with hard-boiled eggs, which is what I eat for lunch. But I guess I should share that in therapy. 
Because therapy is a safe place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And what I do is I just add eggs if I have mayonnaise left over. I just continue to add the eggs. But if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I hope they can help me. My God. I hope they can help me. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LastPod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp! H-E-L-P dot com slash LastPod. Ah, Jules. Oh, Jules. Make a wife smile today. The road to getting engaged can be long and full of memories and pitfalls and landmines. Or it can be short and thrilling, like a roller coaster on the way to the police department. But the road to finding the perfect engagement ring is a straightforward path every time. All you've got to do is head over to BlueNile.com and they're going to ship them rocks straight to your wife's new fingers. On BlueNile.com, you can create a bigger, more brilliant piece than you can imagine. At a price you won't find at a traditional jeweler, Blue Nile is the original online jeweler since 1999. That's present time to me. Their diamond price guarantee means that in most cases, they can meet or beat a competitor's price on a comparable diamond. I know when I got my wife a beautiful Blue Nile necklace, the first thing she did was, what did you do? But afterwards, she was so happy to have it and she loved it and she wore it when we went on vacation and modern did everybody come around being like where'd you get that piece you beautiful woman and I was like stop talking to my wife she's spoken for you can see it with the blue Nile bling she's got on her right now get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more with code last podcast at blue Nile.com that's $50 off with code last podcast at blue Nile.com blue Nile.com how many platforms do I work on? So many platforms. Can you believe it? Google Docs. Work on that. Very complicated. Lots of different things going out. Clickety-clack, right? Slack. Saying things to my employees. All of my, all my, my main doldgers walking around here. It makes sure it changes cluck to the word I meant for it to say to everyone. But I try to say not curse words on Slack. What am I supposed to do about it? But Grammarly doesn't fix curse words, does it? Because Grammarly's too good for it. It's too classy. It's Grammarly is an AI writing partner that helps you get work done faster with high quality writing. Because better writing means a stronger impact. The pen is mightier than the sword. Except when the sword is in the room. 96% of Grammarly users report that Grammarly helps them craft more impactful writing and suggestions based on your audience goals and context. Can you believe it? And data privacy and security are woven into the foundation of Grammarly. It's in its goods. All right. So Grammarly's great. Use it. I use it. I love its gentle harassment of my writing style because it does help me because sometimes my thumbs are faster than my eyeballs. Don't quote me on that. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. But speaking of the world's greatest actors, you've now been working again with Matt Servito. He played Satan, your pretty face is going to hell. He's directing now, which at first, not that I was scared, only just because I've seen him drink so much scotch that I was like, I didn't know what he was going to be like. I didn't know what he'd be like as, an, as a director. But now he's really crushing it. And we made a short together called Good Head, where you got the YPF team all back together, which was wonderful. We made a horror, horror short. But then you just got back filming in Albania for a month 
with Master Vito at the helm. Oh, it was in Austria. We were in Austria. How was where, it? How was it being under Matt Cerrito as a direct, and also being in fucking Austria during this time period? I know that he told me that the crew drinks a lot of wine. Oh no, it was it was insane, you know. And you know, we've you know we've spent a lot of time with Matt. We've been locked in on a production together where we're working hard, but living together for a month while working on a movie. Tell you. Then you're really seeing it, you know. You're oh yeah. You're people are waking up and wondering why me and Matt are in our underwear at the dinner table drinking scotch at <laughs> five in the morning, and when we gotta wake, we're on US like, time. Oh, we're storyboarding. We changed the ending of the movie. Here's the new ending. No, I mean it was incredible. Like you know, I brought Oliver. Oliver came over to play the monster, and it was it was good to have, you know, somebody like with me all the time in that world to help out too. And to also see just how fucking great it was. Like it was life affirming to be over there with all these like amazing people who were not like a lot of them were not movie. They were not like jaded movie people. Some of them, this was their first thing and they came in because they're working with this big Hollywood star. So they had, they, they had some preconceived notions that we had to, you know, pull the curtain back and say, Hey, no, you guys don't get it. We're independent movie makers like you guys. You what know? is the key difference between shooting in Atlanta versus shooting in Austria? Like, I mean, obviously there's gotta be a lot of differences, but oh, it, it, seven different languages were being spoken on, on that set. Ooh, it's a goblin too. For control. Was, no troll too. It was, yeah, it was, it was bonkers. So I carried an iPad around because, you know, I was storyboarding the movie and, uh, they they require a lot of pre-production over there. Yeah. I think. And so they weren't, you know, and you've heard Matt say this before. Just chill the fuck out. We're making jazz here. Oh yeah, I hate the oh term we're making God. jazz here. Was he saying we're making jazz here in Austria? That's not, not jazz. It's that's not, polka. It's, it's it's uh not really, but but it was funny because the AD, after three days of this, the AD comes to me and the producer and they take me aside and they're like, what the fuck is going on here? And I, <laughs> I had talked to him about this the first day because I was like, are you guys ready to make a, have a crazy time? We're making a crazy movie. It's gonna Things are going to get crazy. Because you be guys made a horror Austin. Western. What Cervito told me is you guys are making a horror Western. It's out in Austria in a was a, the because in Austria, I guess they were obsessed with the old west, the American old oh, west. So they had they like romanticized sort of, it to the point they built theme parks all over the east, you know, all over. Oh, that Europe. sounds fun. Did you go to any of those? But no, it was an abandoned theme one. park. Yeah, oh, that's what they were shooting in. They were living in it. That's yeah, awesome. The, the there were all the buildings are real, like all the saloons and everything were hotels on top. So all the Romanians stayed in the saloons and all the grips stayed in the. Indian village and stuff. It was crazy. That's and, awesome. Uh, but yeah, it was um it was really awesome, but you know, there was there was stuff where I was like, you know, I think you guys are, ex are expecting a different thing than What were they? I, I mean, like, what were their we're expectations? Making, they thought we were making a spaghetti western, which we were because we were shooting everything with giant cameras and anamorphic lenses and it looks like a Sergio Leone western. Yeah. But we we're also making a f the thing meets alien in a Western town. Right. So sweet. So the they, script didn't, is great. they didn't there's understand it was a horror walker. movie. There's a shape shifting skinwalker. Right. And there's an cool. Indian curse. So when I start telling these guys, 
Dutch the camera every time they're running up the stairs in this place. And the Romanian camera guy looks at me, he goes, that is not the movie that we're making. I was like, oh, yes, it is. We're making a fucking horror movie. You guys need to start looking at this thing as being more like Evil Dead than Sergio Leone. Because yeah. if we don't make the movie weird, because they, they're looking at the Indian girl dancing and this stuff, and they're like, where does this cut in? And I'm like, trust us. We, there, there is an Indian curse going on here, and we're going to interject these crazy visuals throughout. Because if we don't make the movie weird from the start, when the fucking monster shows up in the third act... People are going to be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, what movie is happening? Right. So how do you yeah. how do you do that when you disagree with the genre? Like when it comes to like a crew not knowing the genre of a film, that seems like it's a big deal. Yeah. Well, it seems like it would really make every single thing you do a colossal pain in the ass. It, it kind of was, but it was also kind of neat because then I got to explain it and explain the reasons why this was happening and why this shot looks this way. Did it? Did and they understand? Lot, they did. And he would look at, you know, like the, the guy that was challenging me a lot. He would look at me and goes, oh, I see. It's the psychology of the film. <laughs> okay, <laughs> there we go. He's like, we are not shoot because I told him. I said, like, there's no coverage. We're not worried. Yeah, it's not about coverage. Like, why is the camera on the floor? And I was like, because now it's a rape scene. And he goes, oh, I understand. Because now it's just about Master Vito's boots walking into this guy's boots that are torn up. And you know something bad's about to happen, but you don't need to see the knife. Right. You just know that. And it kind of looks like the beginning of a rape because there's two boots here spread and the other boots come in and it's artsy, right? It's. <laughs> We thought a lot about this. I'm sure you did. It reminds me a little bit of uh, when they took Everybody Loves Raymond to Russia. It must be difficult when it comes to uh, educating people on film. Especially when you have 30 days to get the goddamn thing done. And you're also well, like, let me teach a master class really quick also. Well, as the thing goes, and, you know, Henry knows us from working with Tim and those guys at media team. We would just look over and go, no, it's the shot from Nightmare um, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 when the light's coming under the door and everybody yes. goes okay yeah that's it we need a blue light Another over here we need point. an orange light over here and the camera's on the floor with the hundred on the lens like we have this language of cinema and, and horror cinema and underground weird movies that they might not necessarily get but because I can hang with anybody with samurai cinema and maybe they knew more about French New Wave than me, but I could still go, no, this is that thing where the faces are, you know, it's the uh, the Jean Cocteau shot where the faces are looking at each other and they're talking. And Yeah, so you got Cocteau. This is, it's all these reference points that come from being an, a voracious consumer and studier of film. Like it's yeah. film and like it is watching it. And also what I like is what you talk about all the time where it's... Um, while horror is obviously the most important thing to know to how to walk the walk and talk to talk about horror, it's the other shit. It's the other references that can really make films come together. Like you can say, yeah. like, we're telling this story through the lens of a horror Western. And yeah, then also, absolutely. Shane, how do you infuse the comedy? Because Mandy, Cheddar Goblin, it was I laughed out loud. Yes, of course. Absolutely. But it's I also cheered. grotesque. How like do you have a thought process as far as like a uh, do you do you ever intentionally try to infuse comedy or is that just something that happens naturally with just the super bizarre structure of horror in general? Well, that Cheddar Goblin stuff, that's mostly that's on Chris Kelly. Like, you know, he's the funny man. But like for me, I think it just comes out 
in my artwork because once again, my influences, I grew up on Sid and Marty Croft and the Adams family. So that stuff is in me. It's a part of me and it's going to sneak out in, in these ways. What did, you, did you have a chance to see Psycho Gorman by any chance? Loved it. Loved yeah, it. I would People love to hear you. People going thinking I did it because the, yeah. the production design was so gore meets it, it was, it was so, such. A, I loved it. It was so you perfect. Are, I have such like a soft spot for because I say our style because of Pretty Face too. It was just like that goopy, yeah, kind of run and gun, very funny, but also like there is something weirdly precise about it. Like Psycho Gorman, like kind of made that. Perfect. It nailed it. It nailed it. Yeah, it it did, and it and Psycho Gorman proves it doesn't need to be totally slick. To get the point across, sometimes, and this is like something I learned. That was Dave Willis's point. Yeah, you know, you got it. Well, here's here's, and I learned it most eloquently from the great painter Basil Gogo. So you guys are probably familiar with because he painted all the crazy covers for the famous monsters of Filmland magazines, where there's like hard light sources, and like you've seen, he's done covers for Rob Zombie late in his life, and his art okay. is very prevalent, and it inspired generations of artists right and basil gogos told and i told gogos i was like the reason that you're gonna live on forever is because the gesture of your drawing is retained in your finished piece of your art and he looked at me and he goes the gesture is everything so what i'm getting at is if you overwork your piece so much and you lose the soul of the art mm -hmm. right so who's a better sculptor rodan or Leonardo da Vinci or Michelangelo, right? Like somebody does something really tight or something where that like, like a Frank Frazetta painting where you can tell he slashed at it while he painted it, you know? And it's got, yes. this, it's got this like really uh, savage quality to it. You actually right. see where you see the sketch. Yeah. Over the years yeah. of doing our show too, you, you really can see it. It really is about the thing that you sometimes hate about your own work is you actually seeing yourself in your work and you want your work to look like somebody else's. Like you want your work to look like, oh, I want it to be tight and clean. I want it to look like this thing. I want to look like a highly produced project. I want it to look like this, but it's like, no, the thing sometimes that you maybe don't agree with your work, you look at it, maybe it feels green or whatever. That's you speaking. And that's actually the most essential part sometimes is the you speaking, even though it's not maybe perfect and it's not something you don't recognize as perfect, but it is like it makes it alive and it makes it something that only you made with your hands. Yeah, I, you know, Orson Welles said it. He said an artist without boundaries can't make good art. Yeah. So like maybe that's part of my my whole shtick, too, is that I've yeah. never had like really big budgets to do stuff. And it keeps me grounded in this world where I have no choice but to retain the gesture of the idea <laughs> right, you know? right well so, it just seems like with that with that premise which i love that uh you can't get that in cgi no of like, course not if you're if you're creating a cgi character i mean maybe someone who's very good at creating something like that can be like that's my personal touch but if it's janky but you just it bumps don't you out. see it it bumps you out of it if it's janky so when it comes to tangible special effects that's why psycho gorman it was laugh out loud. And then it was also like during the kills, it was like awesome. Like you get that incredible, satisfying feeling of like watching a snuff film that you know is fake. Fe Fear Street did good. That new Fear Street series on Netflix did really good with the practical kills. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying that one. Madeline got 
angry with it and thought it was exploitative towards teenage sexuality and stuff. It is. It is strange. Yeah. Well, I didn't think so because they're making 80 slasher films, which were very exploitative towards teenage sexual feelings, right? Like sometimes the whole movie is based on that. You know, Jason's just like penetrating everybody with his machete. It's just that's what the thing's about. So I think that they really get it. I've, I've if been you, digging Shane, if you could work on one of the major franchises, I know you don't love Slasher, but let's just say you got, you, you're getting hired. Yeah, what's the big Who one? Who do you want to work with? You want to work with Halloween, Nightmare, Well, you Friday. did a set for Halloween too. I worked too. on Halloween too with yeah. Rob Zombie. Oh, you did? How I, was that experience? Yeah. It was, well, it was tough because it was a, uh, it was a wine. Harvey Weinstein was there and caused a lot of trouble. Oh, and, Jesus uh, Christ. He made it really rough on Rob, who was like the whole reason I was there is because he fucked he with was, Rob Zombie, too. Oh, it was what a bitch. I'm not going to talk about this publicly, but it, it was brutal. Like I wanted to kick the fucking guy's ass. I didn't know who he was. Wow. But, uh, <laughs> really? of course, well, Rob, of course, is like such a sweet um he's not like Rob Zombie. Yeah, he's more yeah. like this like sweet like artist guy that's that's like internalizes stuff, you know what yeah. I mean? So uh, it I don't know. It was it was rough seeing him go through it and he so was just getting screamed this, at the whole time. He was trying to make this love letter to Italian Euro trash movies, right? Uh, Italian Spanish like Paul Nashi and stuff. Sure, and, yeah. And and people that were on the show would look at me and go, what the fuck is this all about? And I was like, it's, it's the, you know, it's the feeling that he's going for. Like people were like, I'll never forget this. We're shooting the scene where the pumpkin headed guys are eating at this dinner table. And yeah. Yeah. It's sweet. I love that. I love Halloween. I love both yeah. of zombies remakes. I love yeah. that. Well, I, I like Halloween too, especially because it's one of the only Halloween movies where something happens. There's like an, a character, there's character arcs. Yeah. Like as much as I love the first Halloween movie, it's really just a glorified music video. I mean, one of the characters spends the whole movie peeking out of the bushes, like something out of a Russ Meyers peekaboo movie. <laughs> I don't I even love know what that the first, first Halloween. Halloween is, but I love it. But like, I think that, uh, you know, Rob was trying to make an art film and they just, that's not what they were wanting uh, to do. Yeah. It seems like. You know, Rob in the industry, I'm totally talking on my ass here, but I know he wanted to make that hockey movie. He kind did. Of a and version they, yeah. of slapstick. It just seems like whatever. I fucking hate the system so much. It's very it's difficult to fucking and, navigate it through. Also to keep your ego hold. So you have to, you have to go and, Oh God, it's dumb to have to try to make them happy and you happy at once. Cause then you're never happy. Yeah. yeah so well, I had this conversation with him after the, the movie wrapped, you know, and I was just like, why are you even doing this? Like, why don't you just make your own thing and just get it, get the money somehow and make your own thing. And then you don't have to deal with these fucking assholes. Cause I was right. like, I don't want to work with these people again, but he you did know? it with like, the, I 31 though. 31 him. was not kind of dropped the ball a little bit, but dropped it, oh, but. I just can't even imagine uh, the monster of Harvey Weinstein of being on that set. I liked Lords, Lords of, of Salem. Love Lords of Salem. I think it's his best movie. Yeah, I think Lords of Salem was fantastic. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the monsters. I think he's going to do good. I think so I think he's too. Kill it. I think can't so wait. It's going to be awesome. Oh, but so, Shane, do you have a dream? Thing. Yeah, dream franchise. Okay. Like, what would you pick? Okay. What would you pitch? It's not really a franchise, and I and and this is funny because this is Rob asked me too. Well, if you were going to do a remake, what would it be? Trick or treat. Oh, Ooh. that's but it would be. 
okay, and now it's now it's going out over your show. So now somebody's gonna make it next week. No, no, no. But make them make it. Make them make it for right. us. They're gonna have to. But imagine trick or treat. But Sammy Kerr is now not an '80s dude with big spray painted hair. Now he's a Norwegian death metal guy. That's and he's great. Burning down the churches and the teenagers are getting. You know, like you could create a whole new like horror guy with this corpse painted dude that's able to sneak through speakers and yeah that's like, actually a really interesting it's idea so, it's such a difficult thing to, i'm just trying to rack my brain on like new-ish horror icons hatchet i suppose somewhat that's the closest um, one is hatchet in terms of like a new character like a like perhaps, center of a franchise character perhaps the uh d speaking of directing speaking of disgusting people in hollywood jeepers creepers that monster kind oh, of transcends a little that. bit yeah but now that's still that's gone um, like, those movies I should be fucking deleted from the registry either. Yeah, I, it's the first just time I so watched difficult. it, I was like, "There's something wrong with this Why movie." There's a bunch of boys in their underwear and they're measuring their weenies on the side of the road. There's something wrong with this director. Yeah, yeah I don't like it because I've auditioned a couple of times for things where I had to measure my penis, but a yeah. lot of the times, Isn't you know, right? Because it's kind of crazy. I got paid for it, Whoa. which is really weird to be in this little room. But yeah, you know what I mean? Like, no, Jeep of course, Creepers gave me the Jeepers Creepers because <laughs> yeah, I was like, something, <laughs> something I not it. right about this. I guy. smell a pedophile. Oh god, yeah. damn it! Yeah. I don't know. Oh, good so lord. So I don't know if that's a franchise. You know, but no, when it comes to when it comes to iconic characters, why is it so difficult to make a new one? Because you can't overthink it. It has to come. Yeah. I think you, it has to flop out of your mouth and then it becomes iconic afterwards. I think you've got to have a serious, like extreme love for it, too. That's why Shin Godzilla is like the and I'll probably get killed for this. But it's to me, Shin Godzilla is the second best Godzilla movie after the first one. I love it. Upon rewatching it, we we watched it in our backyard. I love Shin Godzilla because number one, yeah. it's the maker from uh, Neon Evangelion. It's the Evangelion yeah. group, right? Which so is a super important artist. So yeah, intense, so intense, and the, the way that they did it was so like it's got humor. It's interesting. The, you actually feel stakes. You're kind of scared. It's yeah. and the uh, effects are just awesome. I love that fucking yeah. movie. And the idea behind Godzilla, he's definitely fucking terrifying again you know like yes. godzilla should be terrifying you know and i love movies like gmk which is was my second favorite godzilla movie until they did shin godzilla um yeah. but i think i think you know he made it really cerebral yet managed to make it fun at the same time and was able to inject his weird politics where nerds matter and people should listen to the little guys yes. sometimes you know like yeah, I'm done the doing that now, though. Save the world, He's done. Know. He doesn't want to listen to nerds anymore. He's no, I'm over nerds. it. Nerds are bullies now. Yeah. At least bullies think. played sports and gave the school money. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, now just now so the nerds are going out and killing people. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> They're all Elliot Rogers now, and I yeah. can't feel sympathy for them. <laughs> Shane, what director, if you had a dream director other than Mr. Rob Zombie, who would you like to work with? Well, I. Uh, it's Guillermo del Toro. Ooh. Oh, that'd be cool. You know, like, He's the one guy and like I've fallen. I, I love his commentary. Like people that don't get Pacific Rim. I tell them, watch the movie with commentary and then tell me you don't get Pacific Rim. How you know, you like Pacific, Pacific Rim? It was so good. Yeah, it's a robot Pacific fighting. Rim, okay. Every cool scene in the, the fight scenes with Godzilla versus Kong were straight up stolen out of Pacific Rim. They stole so stole much so shit. Between Pacific Rim and Evangelion, they stole yeah. so much shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, 
he stole so much shit from Evangelion mm. and from reference <laughs> points. <laughs> reference points. points. He just he knows his stuff, you know. Guillermo del Toro knows his stuff. So when I watch his movies with commentary, I'm like, this is a guy that I could stay up with all night, deep diving into like why Lon Chaney Sr. is the greatest actor who ever lived and like why the creature from the Black Lagoon deserves love. You know, like all these things. Like, I mean, he, he speaks to me more than any director. Tim Burton was a guy that used to, oh. but I think he's kind of lost it. Why I do you think Peter that Jackson was one of us too until he made uh, King Kong? King Kong, which is yeah. my most hated movie of all time. Yeah, that was um, so rough. That one with Jack. When Black they're ice skating and, yeah. and he, he, she looks like she's about to suck yeah. his huge ten-story yeah. penis. Yeah, that kind of. Yeah, he strange. missed the whole point, and I think that what happened with him, and this has happened to a lot of artists, they get so involved with the technology. And they've lost the soul of what a story is about and everything. Do you think so, it's possible the studio ruined it, though? I mean, is no. it possible that Peter Jackson they was just like, give you are you serious? Do you want me to do this? I realized Peter Jackson was out of his mind when I saw Return of the King. And I was like, okay, this is really Because I thought the first two were really good. And then Return of the King, I was like, this guy's done. He's never going to make anything good again. He will do stuff good. He will like use his technology to tell stories like... I'm He's stoked talking, there's Beatles documentary that's coming out. Oh, I have cool. friends yeah, that yeah, are working awesome. on they have friends that are working on the Hobbit show right now, and they are saying yeah. that, like, you know, they do a lot. The one thing about Peter Jackson is that he does a lot of practical. You just yes. get these massive budgets. Right. You get these massive budgets, and what do we know, right? You can't leave money on the table in any way, shape, or form. So if you are getting a hundred million dollar budget, hundred and fifty million dollar budget, they want you to spend every cent of that yes. money and more like they want. And so yeah. that's what they do. So they look at this, they have a slush one. They're like, well, we'll put 75 of it into the visual arts. Cause that fucking gets, cause it's a, what it's a, the, the special effects of they're doing digital. It's like 150 Expensive, coders man. that are doing uh, yeah. that all day and, and artists and shit, but it's yeah. still just within all the computer, but you, but you do lose touch. Do you think that's yeah. what happened with Tim? The, the one thing with Tim Burton, I say his name, like I know him, but one thing with Tim Burton is I, I wish you would reshuffle the cast. Some, there is something with working with the same people over and over and over again to the point where it's, it's like, oh, no. Like, I feel like maybe some of the aliveness. Is that a word? I guess well, so. I feel like some of that thing. goes away. Here's the thing, too. When you become a blockbuster filmmaker, your movies are made by committee. Even a small film like Halloween 2, all of a sudden it's taken out of Rob's hands. And now Harvey Weinstein is calling, calling the shots about how this I'm movie. I'm so pissed to hear that stuff. he had any fucking well, say in that movie. Yeah. No, it was, it was brutal. So now a guy like Tim Burton. Okay. And here's an example. Dumbo is one of my favorite movies of all time. I it's still so watch sad. it. I, I, weep. I, I like, I mean, Henry knows how much I love Disney. We've gone to Disney together. And yes. He's seen me like weeping in lines. I've watched you weep at Dumbo. Like I've seen it happen where it's like, Man. you guys, I remember like late night, like doing the, when Madeline would be done with the Disney singalongs in the other room. And then you put the Disney movies on and it does sort of feel like you're captured by a psychopath. Yeah. You know I mean, like you scary. are like watching Dumbo, yeah. you are crying and Carving just saying stuff like, nobody gets it. Yeah. But we're hammered. Yeah. So it's explained. You can explain it. Yeah, that way. You know. So, so you go and you watch Tim Burton's Dumbo, and immediately I'm like, "Holy shit, he's making the Elephant Man!" And this is a story about a guy who's coming back from the war, who's missing his arm. He has this weird trunk that gets in the way, which is his sleeve that's empty now. Him and Dumbo are gonna overcome their handicaps together. There's the fucking story, right? There's your fucking movie. There's Dumbo. It's amazing. No. 
because now it's a Disney movie and they have to have kids fly Dumbo because kids fly Dumbo at Disney World. Yeah. So now they've got this story, this subplot about these kids and it just the simplicity of what the heart of this story is. And he saw that story all the way through to its end. When you see the end of Dumbo, they have achieved their goals and overcome their handicap together. And there are stars. There's your story. But because of all the, all the different, um, uh, what do they call them? Like there's so many different levels of, of bureaucracy marketing, especially when Disney, you have to hit points. there's so many demographics that have to be covered in these things right. that it becomes so convoluted that the gesture's gone. Okay. Right. Here we go back to the thing. So it's really hard to tell a simple story when you've got a, a table of people with all the money people and they're telling you, well, that's no good because Coca-Cola owns this part of the movie. Right. And this has to happen. There's right. this, many shots of this watch like Madeline is, it's funny watching movies with Madeline. Like she hated the Avengers, which I loved. She hated it because she was like, "This is a fucking watch commercial. It's a watch and a car right. commercial." She's like, she kept elbowing me every time that there was a product placement. And oh I, my goodness, I left yeah. with bruises. It was like tough. And that's why we want to thank everybody over at Gatorade for allowing Gatorade, us to have yes. this refreshing conversation. Yeah. Uh, and it's really, he's just been incredible. The electrolytes of this conversation have really mm, fulfilled me down yeah. deep. So absolutely. <laughs> thank you so much. And all sport, the now defunct all sport from the 1990s, the carbonated sports drink. Brilliant people. Jerry <laughs> just make you fart, and while you while you're going, yes. Um, well, but Guillermo del Toro, Guillermo del Toro, I do want to eventually. I can't wait. I want to go see Nightmare Alley with you because oh, man. Nightmare Alley was one of those books that you gave me with the Satanic Bible, and uh, like those are like my first uh, introductions to all of this type of thought. Like when you gave me the Satanic Witch. All this kind of thing, like it really is interesting to see kind of come to play. And I wonder if they will, when they, when Nightmare Alley comes out, if they will do any sort of nods to how important that story is is to Satanism. Yeah, and how how layered it is. And Guillermo del Toro is the guy to do it. And yes. the thing that's given me a lot of uh, a lot of hope, not just because Guillermo del Toro is yet to make a bad movie, he's produced some bad movies but his projects have always been like amazing. And, and he has been studying the Tarot so hard for so long that I really think that, you know, when you read Nightmare Alley, each chapter is a Tarot card and it's all. Oh no, I have, I have so a workbook. Cool. The last time I read it, I worked it out with the Tarot cards. Like I was sitting there like looking at the symbolism because we were going to, we might do it, at some point we will do our deep dive and talking about deep into Satanism for last podcast on the left. But it is, that book is just upon rereading. I was like, there's so many fucking lessons in this damn yeah. book. Yeah. And you know, there's all this other stuff too that for a guy like me that loves illusion and loves magic and stage magic and all the spook show stuff. He puts so much into that book of how this stuff is done. He gives you the trade secrets away without giving the trade secret away. You have to search. Like that's how I can read Nightmare Alley every other year or so and get a new, get something new out of it every time. Cause it's so multi layered. And I think that Del Toro is going to do a great job with making it that rich. I hope so. Know? Absolutely. I was kind of sad when DiCaprio dropped out because now it's Bradley Cooper. Yeah. Because I was like, ah, yeah. 
That's your yeah. close friend, Leo. <sighs> if only yeah. he'd answer that one email I sent that him. That one email you sent him. Shane Morton, thank you so much for being on the show, man. This was awesome. You, I guess my, my final little thing is, and again, I, you've sort of answered it already, but for the youngsters out there listening, what's the first thing they should do if they want to get into special effects? Like, Because, I again, it's just so difficult to uh, – like, what's a thread that they could begin to pull on? Well, this is – this is the thing. You've got to start at the beginning. You've got to learn how to watch Lon Chaney Sr., who is the guy that started all this stuff. He's the, you know, Lon Chaney Sr. started the, the heavy makeup effects work, which was basically character design, character performance, taking to a different level through the use of, you know, extreme makeup, right? Yeah. And then you got to study Willis O'Brien and Harryhausen, who were the guys that created the stop motion stuff. You got to go to the basics and then you've got to learn how to draw. You got to draw. You've got to draw. You got to sculpt. You got to do the work. Okay. Dude, you know, check out the thousand hour rule, right? Oh, yes. This, to become the master, you've got, you know, 10 years of work. Shane, Absolutely. I got one for you too. Check out the Wolf House. The on Wolf iTunes, House. the Wolf House. It's this new. It's a stop motion animation. Like it's basically the new like Jan Schwenkmeyer. Oh, uh, Jan Schwenkmeyer. Yeah, and it fucking. I was watching it last night, and it's just one of those like it's an uninterrupted hour and fifteen minutes of a horrible nightmare. Oh, that sounds great. You'll like Have it. Have you seen Howl in the Fog? No. Okay, so that's a Japanese yes. uh uh kind of tokusatsu thing with puppets it's very like godzilla but in samurai oh yeah era stuff and it's, it's on the it's list a, it's a mood piece put yes. it put I mean, it they're, on the they're list still making good stuff Absolutely. oh yeah buddy good stuff coming out like more than ever actually so i hate i don't want to end on a bad note and go oh no, the dude. Guys no. are bitching about this because stuff like psycho gorman howl in the fog all this stuff there's Indie more of us that are film. able to make it now because it's Absolutely. easier to make movies. Indie horror film is at its peak right now. Yes. There is so much good shit. I just watched one last night that it was called uh, I, I Have to Tell Your Heart to Beat. And it's a one of the most interesting retelling of a vampire story that I've ever seen in a long time. It is I'll I'll text you the actual title of it. It is yeah. wild, but yeah, they're still making awesome. good shit, man. All right, yeah. well, thank all over you. the world. Thank you all so much for listening to this special episode with Shane Morton. And uh, you can find Shane. I don't know if you want to plug Twitter. He's Professor Morte. It's M O R T E P R O F M O R T E. O-R-T-E. Silver Scream, right? Just Thanks. look up Silver Scream. Silver Scream Effects Lab. And uh, we're going to start posting pictures of all the new work and everything. And as soon as I'm able to legally post pictures of all this stuff that we've been doing, like yeah, some of the been... biggest projects we've we've ever done with the biggest budgets. And awesome. You've hour. been working your ass off, man. I can't wait for people to see it. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what's your Instagram so people can see that then? That's Silver Scream Effects Lab. Silver Silver Scream Effects Lab. So follow them on Instagram and uh, stay up to date with everything Shane is doing. Thank you so awesome. much for being on the show, Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Absolutely. Hail sweet Satan, man. And thank you all so much for listening. We hope you're doing well out there. Yeah. Um, thanks for all the support. We got the live dates. You can go find those on our website. Lastpodcastontheleft.com. Last yep, Last Podcast merch for our merch. Yes. Uh, we got some weed coming up mm. uh, that you guys all know about. And we want to thank everyone who came out to our meet and greet. In uh, Santa Ana. It was absolutely fantastic. Thank you. It, uh, it, yes. it better have been. It was. Yes. All right, everyone. Hail yourselves. Hail Satan. Congratulations. Hail Satan. Oh, Shane yeah, Satan. bro. Yep. Yeah,
Hell yes, hail Shane. Hail Shane, bro. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Here you are, BPMs high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aw, I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. 